Hey everyone, I'm Grayson, I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me, whether it was by choice or not. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I'm Grayson, I'm an alcoholic. I don't know who, you're, who needs to hear this, but I'm also trans. Um, and so I want to give a special shout out to all the queer and trans and all the rest of yous out there. The rest of you who are not are also loved. You're just not special tonight. Um, but really, I'm grateful to have you all here to tell me, to hear my story. I told my story at Galano, which is like the LGBTQ affirming um, place up on airport, which does not have all gender restrooms. So Bolden is actually a really cool affirming place in that way. I told my story there in October and I listened to it because it was recorded too. I was, uh, I was doing other people's fourth steps throughout my talk. And, you know, I had a lot of blame, which means I had a lot of shame. And so I'm hoping in this share, there'll be less of that. I don't know. Um, but I, I heard it and I was like, I'm writing other people's four steps. I got really, really good at that, right? Because now that I'm so enlightened in my recovery, I can point at your problems and tell you what, okay, so it doesn't work that way, right? Okay, so um, I'm just doing this day by day. Uh, I've got a, a year and uh, eight months or something like that, so I'm working on two years. Um, so yeah, all right, here we go. Um, so yesterday, I uh, locked my keys in my car in a parking garage, which creates its own set of problems. Uh, I work at UT, so you know I use my parking pass to get into the garage. I pay like over 500 bucks a year to park in this place. Go to my office, forgot my keys in my car. So I go back, car is locked. There are the keys on the seat. I call AAA, feel very responsible, like I'm just taking care of my business. Okay, AAA comes, I keep calling it AA the whole time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so got my keys out, and I wanted to do the tow guy a solid, so I let him use my pass to get out of the garage. So that was my first mistake, because you can't fuck with your pass that way. So when I went to leave my office after working there the whole day um, at 6 o'clock, I couldn't use my pass, and I pressed the button. And they're like, hey, I said, hey, I need to get out. I'm trying to use my pass, it won't work. And they're like, sir, uh, you left work today at 11 a.m. Because they, they document all of it, right? I was like, well, no, actually, it's a funny story. I didn't, the tow truck did, and so I just need you to let me out. They're like, okay, no problem, sir. Just go into the right lane and press lost ticket. I press the lost ticket button thinking, you know, that I'm in favor and they're just gonna let me out, and it's $36. And I said, like, whoa, 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 I need some compassion here. Like, I just told you my story. You know, you were listening. You must understand, right? They're like, yeah, no, that's great. So just pay the $36 and you can leave. <laughs> so in my calmest, you know, day-by-day -day recovery alcoholic voice, I was like, okay, that's fine. I just need to speak to your manager. And so, you know, the next person gets on the phone. This is all intercom, right? I can't charm anybody with, I don't know, with my alcoholism. Um, and she said word for word the exact same thing. I think they were just sitting there trolling me, like laughing and like, watch this. They probably were watching me. 
and I had this person sitting next to me who was like a guest speaker and I was taking them to dinner. So I was just like feeling kind of humiliated and powerless and like increasingly angry. I said, okay, yeah, no, well, just tell me how to appeal this because I'm going to appeal the hell out of this. You know, I'm going to write a letter. And they're like, we don't really have an appeal. Like, they had just forgot about me. I was just, you know. So I paid the $36. And, uh, you know, I last night won a few arguments in my head. You know, the appeal process, right? Like, I went to court with these people in my mind last night. I won. That's the good news. <laughs> And then I came to work today and told my boss, I, you know, I was like, Lisa, something happened to me last night and I need your help. And she thinks I've been assaulted or robbed. <laughs> and I told her my story and, you know, she knows I'm in recovery and she's supportive and she's like, I think this is just the cost of doing business. Like, you know, this is this happened. This is not a social justice issue, right? I was describing it in these, you know, move, I'm trans, you know, like I, I was not, they were not preying on me. Um, so she kind of talked me down and, uh, but I got into it. I responded alcoholically to that, like a mild alcoholic, right? My old alcoholic self, I would have driven through that fucking arm, you know, cause they were holding me hostage and they can't do that. And fuck you, I'm not paying. So I would have, I mean, in my drunk dreams, I would have driven through. But I would have yelled more. I would have said things I'd have to apologize for. I would have had to written an awkward email to my colleague to, you know, apologize for losing my shit with them in the car. You know, it's a woman, and we're in a parking garage, and I'm yelling. Like, it just wouldn't have been good. So I avoided all that. And uh, I have that to thank. I have my sobriety to thank for that, that it wasn't worse but I guess my point is that life keeps happening after you get sober, right? It's just my recovery time from my anger and my resentment is like shortening. Uh, but last night was a real reminder that I am much better off in recovery. Because um, I would have been drunk. I would have not come today, right? I would have been like, Thomas who? I don't, I don't know, Bolden. <laughs> so anyways, that happened. And I'm here and I'm still sober. So that's a miracle. Um, okay, so just that was just an opener. Um, so I'm supposed to tell my experience, strength, and hope, and I'm supposed to describe what happened, what it was like, and what it's like today or something. I don't know. Supposed to. Supposed to. So I'm going to do that. Um, you know, when somebody told me, well, let's talk about what it was like before you drank, that like got me mad because I had my first drink when I was six years old and yeah that's young and it wasn't intentional but um, my babysitter was an alcoholic and um, Grandma Marie is what we called her because in my five-year-old mind anyone with gray hair was a grandparent right so Grandma Marie was this alcoholic woman and she had um, like clattering dentures and really sweet breath right it's like you know that boozy breath smell um and i'm canadian and our drink of choice is canada club or canadian club the terrible rye whiskey and she would drink rye and gingers none of this i knew i've just been piecing it together right her drink was brown and not bubbly but she would put a little bit of ginger ale in it, and then my sister and I would get to drink the rest of the can of ginger ale. And there was a lot, 
because Grandma Marie was just having a little <laughs> splash. Um, and so we were to wait, she poured her drink, and then we got to share the can. Well, one morning I didn't wait, and I'm realizing now it was the morning too, um, I didn't wait my turn and I took her glass while she was in the kitchen and I took a gulp um, of what was just straight rye and my little six-year-old face just caught on fire and it was burning because it was alcohol but it was also burning because of the shame I felt because I knew I'd done something wrong and I didn't know what it was I didn't know why it felt that way but it wasn't ginger ale and I was responsible for that like whatever I'd just done it was my fault so I was filled with shame. I went quiet um, and I did not spit it out. So I really was, I got drunk, right? Because there's no way a six-year-old can't, anyway. So that was upsetting. That was my first drink. You know, I was talking about how I used to write other people's four steps. Like the last time I talked about this, I was really angry at my parents. Like what the fuck's wrong with you hiring alcoholic um, babysitters? But now that I know that I'm an alcoholic, you know, there, there could have been a lot of things going on there. But it is dangerous. You know, she was driving us around town. But she was like a high-functioning, we know the type, a high-functioning alcoholic. Um, but, yeah, I had a lot of resentment about that. My mom knew she was an alcoholic because I've tried to talk to her and get my mom to apologize to me over and over. <laughs> um, she's a tough one. And she said, oh, no, no, I knew she was alcoholic because I drove her to a meeting one time. And she says, and because I once found vodka in the house. And so now my recovery mind is like, well, shit, that's a terrible recovered alcoholic, right? <laughs> but we are all sick. Um, so it's hard for me not to keep writing people's four steps but when I run into another alcoholic you know I just have this new form of compassion you know and I hope I can find that compassion towards my mom who doesn't drink but right now it's reserved for us alcoholics pretty much exclusively um, so that was my first drink um, and Shortly after that, and I have content warning, I'm going to talk about abuse, but in no particular detail, I'll just name what kind it was and move on. But, you know, feel free to respond to that however you want. If you want to boo, that would be awesome. Right? <laughs> um, so I, I guess, I don't know the age frame, it's, a, it's just a blur, but six, seven, or eight, I was uh, sexually molested, well, yeah, I guess I was molested by a different babysitter. Strike two. Yay. Oh my God, that's so affirming. Thank you. Okay. So, molested by a different babysitter. Um, again, very shameful. I was made to think that I did that, right? So, I don't know how that happened, but just I was always internalizing. Whatever was happening to me, I would like take control of it by saying it was my fault, which is a six or seven year old. That sucks because, like, we don't, we're children. Um, so that happened and you know this person was in my town like I worked for her years later at the YMCA day camp you know it's just like mm -hmm. ugh. I just it makes me sick to just think of like how you know child abuse circulates in communities um, so around 12 I was sexually assaulted by a person who was a little bit older than me a friend of my brother's and then I had my first deliberate drink it was February 
in Canada, so it's going to be dark for months yet, you know, like dark, not dark, like no sunlight, but gray. It's going to be gray and shitty and cold. Um, and I was feeling lonely, bored was a big feeling, my parents were away, the basement was flooded, and I like decided that I would feel differently if I had a drink, because I, I guess I already knew that instinctively or something. Um, so I poured myself a glass of amaretto. Um, so tough, so tough. I mean, I started with rye, so whatever. Um, so yeah, poured myself a shot of amaretto, and I remember drinking it and thinking like, this is the way through this. All of these depressed feelings, like this is gonna, this is gonna help me. This will be my, my medicine. And it did change how I felt, but oh, I get so sad just thinking about it. Thinking about my 12 year old self without support, like self-medicating. And I think a lot of like queer and trans people know, a lot of people who are disproportionately affected by alcoholism know that that is an easy way to self-medicate, you know? And so what you start doing as maybe a skill in a bad situation, like it, that's I guess what I was doing. So I try to give myself, like, not credit, but I try not to be too hard on myself. So I was a depressed 12-year-old. Um, I didn't have any access to therapy. My parents still don't do that. My mom said she went to therapy. This is me writing a four-step again. After I came out as trans, she was just, like, kind of really upset. Like, she felt like I had done something to her. Um... And I said, well, you know, go, go see a therapist. Like, I know you're ready to do the work. It sounds like you're ready to do the work. She told me she wanted to do a therapist. And then I asked her how to go. How's therapy going, right? Repeat, you go back. She's like, oh, it was fine, I went. Like, <laughs> and then my sister called and said, mom did not go to see, did not go to therapy. She had coffee with a friend of a friend who happens to be a therapist. <laughs> so that's like, that's gotta, I gotta put that on my four step like every single day. Yeah, I resent that. <laughs> Anyways, um, so it's no surprise to me that like, I turned to alcohol. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic, I never knew him. He died when my dad was 13 of pancreatitis, um, which is just code for alcoholism, right? And so I asked my dad about it. I really wanted my dad to be the alcoholic so I could blame it on him. But he, I don't think he is. I, it sucks, I've investigated this. Uh, I think he's like a normie. I think he is, but his dad was hiding bottles all over the house. You know, after he died, they found bottles wrapped up in towels and in drawers, so okay. Um, so it's in my family, um, but not in anybody who's alive currently that I could blame, so. <laughs> Anyways, so first kind of deliberate drink at 12, um, I wanted to feel um, differently. Uh, when I got drunk, I got really aggressive. Um, some people thought I was fun. <coughs> Kind of like if I was on your side, I was fun, but if I wasn't on your side, it was your worst nightmare. Um, and when I was 16, you know, this, this person who had assaulted me, um, sexually assaulted me when I was 12, I saw him at a party and I was shit-faced, so that was the perfect time to con confront my abuser, right? Right? Yeah. It didn't go well. So I was yelling in his face, he kicked the shit out of me in front of people at this party and nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. Yay. Thank you. 
<laughs> I love like implementing crosstalk, you know, formalizing it. I love it. Thank you for this support. Um, so, you know, nobody did anything. Um, I told my mom, she's like, what did you do? Like everything that has happened kind of to me, my mom's like, no, it's, it's to me. Why did you do that to me? Um, so anyways, nothing happened. Um, you know, I don't, my politics today are like, don't, oh, well, whatever, never mind. AA. Um, nobody did anything. Not the people that were there, not my dad after he told me to tell him everything that happened. You know, he went and talked to a cop friend and the cop friend said, was Grayson drunk? And my dad's like, yeah. And he's like, leave it. He was drunk underage, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so that sucked. And, you know, I used alcohol from 16 to 38, rather deliberately to feel differently about my life, um, to be more social, to get out, to meet people, but also just to cover over anything that I didn't like. Um, so I did the math, that's 22 years. Um, if you, I've, you know, from 16 to 38, my first drink was six, so that's 32 years. Um, fuck, that's a lot of time to be drinking. Okay, so, and that was 22 years of like blackouts and vomiting on myself and vomiting in friends' cars, and then they'd have to sell the car, and then I'd have to apologize, and giving my high school teachers the middle finger when they, we were on rugby tours together, because they were drunk too, and I was, you know, um, fighting, stealing, walking out on tabs. I just thought that was the funniest thing. <laughs> just the funniest thing to just walk out on your tab and never once thought about the servers who had been putting up with me and then made no money. That's just the rudest shit. I also became a server after that and learned my lesson. Karma came back. Um, so yeah, fighting, stealing, doing drugs for no good reason, um, just because I was drinking and because somebody passed me some. You know, people just, they knew I was into it. You know, like even as a, an adult, people would just pass me a glove with cocaine in it and be like, here, you want this, right? Like they just saw it in me. And I was like, yeah, I do want this? Yes, I do. Um, so a lot of just like drugs and drunk driving. The drunk driving really, that's a real bummer. And just being out of control and being everybody's problem, just, I mean, drunk driving is being everybody's problem, you know? Like, you're just putting everybody... I remember, like, whoa, <laughs> you know, just keep going, you know? Like, on the fucking highway. And I'm Canadian, right? So I'm here with a green card, drunk driving in, like, New York State and in Texas, pretty tough, you know, road laws. Um, and just... That's fucked up. I could have, you know, changed my whole life with that because I wouldn't just get arrested. I would get arrested, thrown in jail. I thrown in jail as a trans person. Don't want to do that. And then I would be deported. You know, it's just a shit show. So, don't want to do that. And now I might not. It might not ever happen to me. I might not ever get pulled over for drunk driving, uh, or deported. Um, I might not ever have to call my mom and tell her those things. Um, so that would be good. Um, so, yeah. 
when I told this story in October, it was all about all the shit I did, like really kind of gruesome detail. Um, and I've I've been to meetings where people kind of like show off, you know, all the shit they got into. Um, and it's hard. It's so tempting to want to do that because I look at the crowd. I'm like, I want to impress you and you and you with how fucked up I was. And, oh, oh, yeah, drunk driving. But it's, you know, you got to like, I don't know what the step is, but like some uh, humility maybe. I don't know. Like we can't show off. Um, so one thing I've learned in my sobriety is like think about what your intentions are because I used to just do stuff. And then, like, think about why I had to apologize. And now I'm thinking, like, what are your intentions? So, like, what is my intention as a person in recovery when I talk about how bad it was when I was drunk? Well, if it's not to help keep myself or somebody else sober, then don't talk about it. Um, but I think there's some indulgence that comes up when we get to, like, talk about how shit-faced we were. But I didn't like it. Oh, God, I hated it. I thought I liked it. Um, I really did because I had kind of learned to treat myself according to what I thought I was worth. You know, and drinking as a 12-year-old sent myself a really clear message at how much I was worth. Right? I wasn't worth asking for help. I wasn't worth therapy. I wasn't worth love. You know, like, I'll take care of it and I'll just use booze to do that. So it's been hard to like rebuild my self-esteem. You know, like alcoholics are confident, right? We have confidence, but I don't think we have self-esteem. I really, that's been a really hard one to rebuild and to treat myself like I love myself every day, even when I don't, like just to act as though has been like it, you need like some mind games to do that sometimes. I just need to trick myself into um, like not chain smoking cigarettes, right? Because that's like a way of telling myself that, like imagine seeing my 12 year old self chain smoking cigarettes. I would never let my 12 year old self do that. Anyways, inner child stuff, um, <laughs> doing some work there. Um, so the last straw for me before I quit um, was like having a box of wine in my car, um, the drunk driving, constant drunkenness, and oh yeah, this is like uh, the punchline, cocaine on a Tuesday night when I have no plans. Like it was just such a waste. Like just gross. Gross, gross, yeah, you like that, yeah. Don't do it, don't do it. The more you know. Um, just like pointless. The, the drugs and alcohol were no longer serving a social life, um, anxiety. Like why would you do cocaine if you have anxiety? I don't know. It don't work. Um, so I told people, I told my doctor, I told um, my girlfriend at the time, and they were like, I don't, I don't think you have a problem. Right? And it's like, I want so bad to be mad at those people. Um, but the problem was is that I was trying to get sober for somebody else, and I kept trying to ask for permission to get sober, and you can't, you don't ask for permission, you do it, right? Um, you do it because you're willing to learn to love yourself, or you do it because you know you're gonna die otherwise. Um, so, but I did, I did try to white knuckle it for a bit, 
um, and drink like a normal person. And it's just, I can't drink like a normal person. I can't smoke cigarettes like a normal person. Like, Jewel, like, fuck that. Like, that is, like, an addict's worst nightmare. Like, the amount I can go through, right? Like, it's just too easy. So I just can't do things non-addictively. Um, so uh, I got blackout drunk the last time on my 38th birthday. And... Uh, it was a just a real mess, and my girlfriend at the time said, uh, I want you to move out. I want you to pay me back. I want to start dating people, other people, and I don't want you to date other people, and I want you to get sober. And I was like, sure. So, yes, I'm a codependent as well as an alcoholic. I'm a raging, yeah, no judgment. I'm a raging codependent. You know, I gave her my car so that, because I felt bad, because I was being an asshole. So I was Ubering and taking lifts and walking to AA meetings when I was trying to get sober. I was just like, what am I, what am I worth? Okay. So uh, the first three months I was getting sober for her and I was acing it. I wanted an A and AA. That's not how it works. Um, I thought that I would get everything I wanted if I just stayed in AA, which is true, but not in the way my alcoholic mind thought because, you know, she obviously dumped me. And, um, but I didn't drink over it. I had three months sobriety and it was like finally time for me to get sober for myself, to take ownership over my sobriety and just kind of own it and love it. Um, so that was a gift, a painful and embarrassing gift, but it was a gift. Um, but my sobriety then came my, became mine. I was working at a bar at the time. I cheer up Charlie's and I'll just say that like, <laughs> you can, I, talk, I just call my sponsor, I'm like, I work at a bar, do I have to quit? And he said, no, sobriety opens your world, it doesn't close it. So I said, okay, but if I drink there, I'm quitting. He's like, well, yeah, you do what you want, but like just, you don't have to isolate yourself in your sobriety. In fact, you might not want to. So instead I got the bartenders, some of whom are, are alcoholic, and like they were very supportive of me because they knew what I was doing was probably something they were gonna need. So we celebrated my chips with little like kombucha shots, you know, like it's it's a bit much and it's not everybody's AA preference, but like that's the culture that I got sober in. It kept me busy. Um, I knew where I needed to be. I worked a lot, um, like two jobs when I first got sober because um, I just didn't want to be by myself. Um, so yeah, uh, and then I just, quit. I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be up. I don't ever want to be up at 3.30 in the morning ever again. I just don't. I just, it's I, not something I miss. Um, so yeah, my first meeting was over at, up at Galano and um, it was magical. Like it was so upsetting to have to say like Grace and I'm an alcoholic, but then I, like everybody's like excited about the newcomer and <laughs> took me to lunch and I just kind of held on for dear life and I just let people help me and then I started helping other people. Um, I got a sponsor and at first I was being really not very AA about it. Like I was overthinking it and making it too political. I'm like, I need a trans sponsor, that's my right. I will not have a non-trans sponsor. And I kind of held out, and if you think about it, and like, I love my trans community, but there's a lot of fucking pain in that community, and there's a lot of us who just like need, like, 
sponsors and we can't wait on each other because we're all at the, kind of at the same level. So I just caved and like chose somebody who said something in a meeting that I thought I wanted, right? They were complaining about something. I'm like, oh, if I can be sober and still complain about things, like that feels like a good balance. <laughs> so I chose that person. And, um, you know, he's a nice, he's just a nice catty gay guy. <laughs> Sorry, that's a stereotype. That's weird. Um, but he cares for me a lot. I care for him and he's really good at the steps. So we just met every week at, what's the coffee house on Cherrywood? Cherrywood Coffee House. <laughs> and like just did the steps, like sometimes three at a time, stalled out on four and five. I thought that my four can never be comprehensive. It has to be comprehensive. So I just did it and just went on with it. Six and seven stalled me out. So I had, I read Drop the Rock, which is just such a great book. Like you're in the ocean and there's a lifeboat and you're holding like a bag of rocks and everybody in the lifeboat's like, drop, drop the rocks, dude. Like just swim over here. No, no, no. These are mine. I made them. Right? They're all my character defects. Like these are coming with me, right? These are, these are my special things. I'm not letting go of these, right? They're like, okay, but like you are, you're going to drown. No, no, no. I can do it. Right, so that's Drop the Rock. <laughs> it's a great book if you're struggling with six and seven or just want to read it. So I kind of slowed down, sped up, and then I, I just did it. I just, um, I made some terrible amends. I started apolog I, apologizing, not making amends. Those are different, right? I started apologizing to people who I was still in codependent relationships with uh, which is a really confusing mess. Like, they didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know what I was doing, and it was gross. <laughs> and I wrote, but my sponsor is like, show me the letter, show me your amends to your ex-girlfriend. Because he, I think in his mind, he knew there's no way he was going to let me do that one. So I showed it to him, he's like, it looks like you've written a resume for a job. Like, you're, you're trying to, like, promote yourself. Like, what is your intention here? I was like, I don't know, I just want her to know that I've changed. Well, why? Why do you want her to know that you've changed? And why is this the way to let her know that you've changed? Like, listing, right? And I was like, I don't know, I just don't want her to hate me anymore. He's like, okay, well, an amends is not getting someone to like you. That's not what it is. So, crumble that up. Nice try, but no. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and so I've just turned to living amends. Like, what can I do to you know, make amends for, which really means change your behavior. It doesn't mean apologize, it's change your behavior. Um, yeah, I do the step work. I go to CODA meetings. I like do my best not to be, you know, verbally abusive towards the people I love in my life, you know. Um, I check myself when I get angry. I try to stay soft, you know. So I just do a living amends. Um, Trying to make an apology to somebody that you are in a codependent relationship with is just like a nightmare. It just, it can't make sense to me. So I got to do more work there. Um, and I'll just let my higher power, which is the universe, let me know what my next step is. But creating a list of people to apologize to, I was just hitting up all the sore spots. Like, no, like, I haven't apologized to my brother, right? Like, I could start there. Instead, I'm apologizing to my ex-girlfriend's friend. Like, why am I doing that? That's not helpful. Okay. So, um, again, there's like, I, I have to slow down and not indulge in these things. These aren't indulgences, right? They're just like amends. You're trying to change your life um, and change how you relate to people. 
Um, step 10 has been great. It's just so much easier to apologize right on the spot. Then it's just gone. It's just done. It loses its power. It helps me with my resentments. Um, step 12, I tried my... So when I gave... I, when I told my story at Glano in October, you know, I was like, yay, trans, blah, blah, blah. And of course, this young trans person came up to me afterwards and was like, will you be my sponsor? And like, my ego is like, yeah, I will, for sure. <laughs> I, she was 19, I'm 39. And I was like, there's like, I don't know what, the, I don't know, is there an age discrepancy issue? Like, I don't understand any of her points of reference. Um, but, you know, we gave it the best shot. It didn't work. It just didn't work. Um, there was just, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I tried, I'll try again. Um, but one thing I've learned in sobriety is if something isn't working, like just move away from it, let it breathe. Don't try to, what do you call when you take air away? Suffocate things, just let it breathe. Um, don't try to control and direct everything. Yeah. So uh, what, is next um i'm in the process of buying a house and if it works on tuesday this delightful person right here carly's my partner um we will own a house we'll see we'll see yeah it didn't work the first time so we're really trying to play it cool but <laughs> we should have a house on Tuesday. So that never would have happened. I, you know, the amount of money I lost, I just drank away. And how, do you remember that kind of rich feeling you had when you stopped drinking at bars? It's like, whoa. Um, that eventually evens out. But, um, you know, I have a new richness in my life. I have more light in my eyes. You know, I'm, I can relate to people. I know that if people mind, they don't matter. And if they matter, they won't mind. Like that lets me forgive myself more and just move away th from things that don't serve me. Um, so yeah, I think that's all I got. I just wanna give a shout out to Bolden because I know Bolden is not like an LGBTQ plus like on paper, but it really is in practice, right? Like first of all, queers are everywhere. Um, but I just, Bolden is a really good place, and like, I just feel so happy here. And I'm an 8 a.m.er, like I come to the Tuesday, Thursdays, 8 a.m.s, so I always like coming, I know, I always, <laughs> sobriety, I always like coming at night where it's a little more rowdy of a crowd than like the 8 a.m. like serenity mornings. Um, so I'm really grateful that you had me here, it's an honor. That's all I got. Thank you. Okay.